You know, funny thing about our lectionary, sometimes every week they have an appointed Old Testament lesson, a New Testament lesson, a gospel lesson, and a psalm. And it's our task to read through those, pray about what the theme should be, pray about what God wants his people to hear. And some weeks, I'll be honest with you, you read through those lessons and it's like, huh, okay. This week was not one of those weeks. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the theme for today is overcome evil with good, period. If I were smart, I would sit down right now and say the word of the Lord and be gone. But I'm not, so here we go. I used to listen to news shows when I was getting ready for work. I don't do that anymore. Because it seems news shows aren't news shows anymore. They're biased and they're slanted and people get angry and they call each other names and they call each other haters and bigots and say, accuse them of having phobias because they, they disagree. It would seem that getting along is kind of a lost art and so is civil debate. We just don't do it anymore. If you don't agree, you're automatically a hater. And that's not the way we are called to be. And it's exhausting to hear. Our lessons today, they, give us, they come together to give us wise counsel about how we as Christians are to conduct ourselves in the face of conflict. We can start with the lesson from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet, lived about 600 B.C. He had a specific message from God about taking care of our brothers and sisters. What was his prophecy? Well, let me paraphrase. He refers to himself as son of man. He said that's the way God referred to him. So you son of man... Throughout the whole Bible, Jesus is referred to as Son of Man, but in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is referred to as Son of Man. So there's a little weird right there. But, so you, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you're going to die, if you don't turn back from your wicked ways, it's your job to go to them and tell them that. And if, if you do tell them that, and they still refuse to turn from their wicked ways, they're, they're going to die, but it's not going to be on you. But if you hear that message and you say, oh no, I'm not delivering that, and you don't tell them, they're going to die, same death, but it's going to be on your head, too. And what about our epistle today? In Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes, Live in harmony with one another. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this brings us to our gospel lesson. Matthew, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. That was intended to give the early church specific guidance on how they were to deal with conflict and broken relationships. The word of the day is reconciliation. And the first step in reconciliation is listening. Not hearing impatiently while waiting to talk over them and offer your own opinion, but listening. If you don't do that, all kinds of things result. A very good one is gossip. That's why you end up with so many versions of stories right away. In other words, we are called to take the first step and to listen. Yeah, it's painful, but it's necessary if there's to be hope of reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. If a relationship is important to us, sooner or later we will need to swallow our pride. I don't know if it's still on TV or not, but are there anybody in here fans of the old Dr. Phil show? Yeah, all right. Dr. Phil used to have a phrase, he used to refer to people as right fighters. Now let me explain to you what that means. I remember one specific episode where he had a woman on and she said, in my house, every year, the whole family comes for Thanksgiving. And I prepare the food, I serve the food. I do everything for that meal. That is my gift of love to my family, and that's the way it's going to be, because that's what I've done. Two years ago, my son married this girl, and she wants to help. She wants to bring pies. She wants to help with the preparation of food. I told her, no, this is mine. And my son called me and he said, why won't you let her help you? And she said, this is my call, this is my Thanksgiving, and you all can either come under those terms or you can stay home. And the son stayed home with his wife. And Dr. Phil looked at this woman and he said, well, congratulations. You were absolutely right and you won. You get to have your Thanksgiving dinner with part of your family because you've lost a relationship with your son, you've lost a possible good relationship with his new wife, you've lost any chance of a good relationship with your future grandchildren, but hey, you were right. And that's the point about reconciliation. Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and to listen to others. Our gospel, in our gospel, Matthew says, if one-on-one -on -one doesn't work, we need to bring in a couple other people. And we need to involve two or three outsiders. Well, that was partially to comply with Jewish law because in Jewish law, that's what you needed were two to three witnesses. 
Unfortunately, sometimes it helps, sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. People get dragged into disputes as the parties try to line up their allies. Recently, I was called upon to help resolve a dispute, not in this church, but I sat with the two people, I listened to them, I listened to their whole story, and I said to the, to, at the end of it, I said to each one of them, now I have homework for you. I want you to go home, think about this, and pray about this. Listen to me carefully. I want you to go home and think if there is anybody else outside of you two that has any intimate details about this event or that can help me to understand this event further. That's what I need. If there's anybody, just give it some thought. They said they would. They both came back the next week, all smiles. One of them handed me a list of 48 people. <laughs> the other one handed me a list of 31 people. I said, what's this? These are the people that these are the people that can tell you about what happened. So I enlisted some help, and we called every one of those nearly 80 people. And you know what they said? I don't know anything about that dispute, but I know that Bob's a good person, and I believe in whatever he says. Those were the kind of answers I got. It was no help whatsoever. See, the point is, these people didn't listen to anything I said. And I had to say to them, do you think this is like in the paper where you get to vote for the best-looking dog and whoever gets the most votes wins? That's not what this is. If we're going to get to the truth of this dispute, we need to drill down into the dispute. It's going to be painful. It's going to be ugly. But what this, this is not reconciliation. This is me saying I got more votes than you, so therefore I win. No, no wins. No wins. If the involvement of two or three outsiders fails, the next step involves taking the dispute to the entire church, usually through the governing body, but sometimes through a congregational meeting. This body has the final solution that can be used as a last resort. If someone has done something wrong, wronged the people, wronged the church, that's why we have suspension and expulsion and excommunication. Here's where that gets tricky, though. Jesus told the church that they should treat the outsider, the non-repentant outsider, like a Gentile or a tax collector. Some of the translations say a pagan or a tax collector. It doesn't matter. Jesus' primary ministry was to the Jews, so they looked at the Gentiles as pagans. It's the same type of thing. But the funny part is Matthew, the author of this gospel, was a tax collector prior to becoming a disciple. And we've got to remember that Jesus was a friend to the sinners, to the tax collectors. His entire ministry revolved around bringing in outsiders. He didn't just maintain his little holy huddle and say, oh, well, good thing, you guys are good. 
The whole point was to get out. And he's doing the same thing today because we're all sinners. So when you use that context of pushing someone out, it kind of gives the illusion that the church is maybe forcing someone out of the circle. But really what it's doing is, is it's acknowledging that the person has put themselves outside the circle. And Jesus promises that God will support the church in this vital function. Because if the church doesn't order its life, who will? If the church doesn't deal with people in its midst that threaten its existence and its mission, then who will? The hope is that the offender will be motivated to take steps to regain membership in the fold. While the church regards the offender as a Gentile or tax collector, Matthew's church regards Gentiles and tax collectors as the mission field. So that's really what we're called to do, is take actions to preserve the church while at the same time redoubling our efforts to bring these people back into the fold. Reconciliation is the key to healing rifts and conflicts. It's possible. It's painful. Icy conditions don't provide for very good growth, whether it's spiritual growth or any other kind of growth. The process of reconciliation is made easier by the knowledge that God is with us if we come together in his name. God is with us whenever two or three are gathered in his name. God sustains us even when there is no hope. When we turn to the deepest center of our beings, we will find God, and then hope can spring forth. Reconciliation without God is not true reconciliation. Got that? Reconciliation without God is not true reconciliation. It's merely peacemaking. When a believing community works to settle disputes, Christ is in our midst, working to achieve that same goal. He is the ultimate peacemaker and peacekeeper. Now Matthew's purpose in all this, and the reason that he put this in his gospel, was because he was trying to make everything in the early church perfect. After all, he was a tax collector, and those of you who uh, know tax collectors, no accountants, no CPAs, no finance people, or those of you that are finance people, you know that the best part of a happy life is having everything in good, perfect working order with no extra anything hanging out there. Matthew and Jesus wanted to restore order among the believers. That doesn't mean they went to the extremes that the Pharisees did by making a thousand laws to take care of every possible situation. No. Jesus gave us those two commandments that we heard earlier in the service. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
Reconciliation is easier if we keep these two commandments in mind. Jesus isn't interested in who's right and who's wrong. He cares about fixing broken relationships. Our concerns about who's right and who's wrong sometimes lead, us, lead to us giving up on relationships that we shouldn't. Our natural response is to wage war like a right fighter with the other person. But that's not what God's calling us to do. God's calling us in his blueprint for our lives. God's calling us to have conflicting parties sit down face to face and reconcile. And the, that process of reconciliation is helped by prayer. When we're involved in conflict, we need to seek direction in prayer. If an outcome or resolution is reached through prayer, it will definitely be accepted by God. Living a Christian life within a community of faith isn't easy, and it requires some maturity and some struggle. We have to determine how to love one another. And if, as you're sitting here today, if there's someone that you're in conflict with, I hope that you will pray about that. And that you'll give it to God and say, how can, we how can we be restored? What needs to happen? It's more than being nice or being civil. Real love in our world requires informed thought and tough choices and all driven by God. It's about listening accountability, and a larger vision of God's kingdom. It's about being accountable to others for the power we hold and using the power of God's kingdom to care for the least and the most vulnerable. A dear friend of mine had the opportunity to hear Mother Teresa speak some years ago at a prayer event in Washington, D.C., She closed her message with a poem that she had written, which is also inscribed on the wall of the Mother Teresa's children's home in Calcutta. I'm going to read you that short poem now, and I'm going to close with that. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God.
It was never between you and them anyway. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this, this poem and Mother Teresa, and thank you for this spirit of reconciliation which, which, with which you are calling us. Lord, if people here today have someone they, with whom they need to reconcile, be with them and guide their efforts. Bring them back together. And Lord, as we leave here today, help us to understand and have your peace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.